Welcome back to this special summer edition of Cooking with an Italian Accent. Today, we're traveling to the mountains to visit my friend Vea Carpi. She is a cook, a farmer, a sourdough baker, and she is also passionate about wool. She has a mazo up in the Trentino mountains and an agritourism with her family. We are both from Tuscany, but we met there, in her farmstead, where we were greeted as part of her family. This is where we attended one of her sourdough baking courses, and we had also the chance to learn about her life in the mountains. In the following conversation, you'll hear us talking about bread and wool, and what they have in common, about alpine cuisine and local ingredients, about sustainable tourism in the Alps, and the day trips to Valle de Mocheni. So now, listen to the episode, join the conversation online, and enjoy this little preview of what a holiday in Trentino looks and tastes like. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for your precious support. I'm touched by your comments, humbled by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration, and practical advice. If you want to stay updated as not to miss a single episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast, and share cooking with an Italian accent with your friends. If you like this show and listen to this podcast on an Apple device, please consider rating and reviewing the show. How to do it? It is very simple and straightforward. First, open the podcast app, click on our podcast, and scroll to the bottom of the podcast main page. There, you can rate and review the show. This will help us be more visible, so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Finally, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode show notes. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and I'm a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, juleskitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast cooking with an Italian accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to the second season of Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 3. Okay, so here we are, our second guest for our conversations about Italy and Italian regions and tourism. And today I'm very happy to introduce you to Vea. Welcome, Vea. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So, um, Vea is just like me, she's from Tuscany, but she lives in Trentino Alto Adige. So let me ask her, uh, can you briefly introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So I am Vea and yes, I'm from Tuscany, from the town of Pisa, which I think everybody knows because of the Leaning Tower. Uh, but in my 20s, I moved up here in the mountains. Trentino Alto Adige is uh, near the boundaries between Italy and Austria. So mainly uh, mountain, uh, mountain area. And here we live in a um, kind of a secluded farm <laughs> up in the mountains. <laughs> yes. Which is beautiful. Yeah. We've been, we've been yes, there last yes. year and it's beautiful. 
Yes, such great memories of you here. And we, we have a small, tiny farm, which um, people here call these kind of farms in the mountains, mazo, which is a special word to, uh, to describe uh, exactly what a mountain farm is. And uh, we also run a, a small, tiny farm to table. So we serve our products uh, on the weekends uh, for our guests. And uh, sitting at your table is the most magical experience, starting from the bread that you make and all the other ingredients that really they were growing outside the window. So that's, I think, part of the magic of sitting at your table. The other part of the magic comes directly from you <laughs> because you are one of the most oh, inspiring and fun people that I've met, uh, thanks to, to Instagram uh, and then in real life. And you're even better in real life because you are authentic and true. <laughs> so after this, um, yeah, we've been talking a lot in these months uh, during the pandemic, uh, deciding how to face you know, all the different challenges coming from these difficult times. Um, how did the pandemic affected your business? Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Um, well, as every other, most of every other business, uh, we were uh, kind of impacted because mm. we, we had to close uh, at times. So not only once, but in different mm. times. So that was... Uh, that was a challenge also, you know, rethinking some aspects of, uh, of ourselves. And, but the thing is that I realized uh, last year and this year as well, that when we reopen, uh, people have a completely different uh, enthusiasm coming here. So you can really feel um, from our guests the lack of uh, mm. of nature that they have had during the pandemic yeah so for example like like you know a very practical example uh they now they ask a lot more to be uh, sitting outside they want to sit outside and eat outside you know i think it's really um a very strong need so we had to organize a little bit better our uh outside tables uh and we discovered that it's so lovely to eat yeah. outside, even in the evening. Yeah. We had people that wanted to eat outside, even when it was really, really cold. <laughs> but they wanted to be outside with their jackets and they were like enjoying yeah. you know, the, 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 whatever the weather was. Yeah, I think so, they're also more grateful for, you know, for uh, having the possibility to sit at a proper table in a restaurant. So even more if it's outside in contact with nature. So all the things that they've been missing during the months of lockdown, now they are grateful when they had the chance to experience it. And so I think it must be very rewarding for you to have these kind of guests at it your is. restaurant. It is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's one of your passions. So uh, I was mentioning the bread. You are a passionate bread maker, but the other passion is wool. So these two passions, they have something in common or they are like two separate passions in your life? Well, in my life, they're kind of separate, of course. <laughs> because of course. yes, well, bread is also a part of my, of my job, you know, a daily part of my job. So I have to bake bread almost daily and it's part of our offer uh, what we offer in the agriculture in the farm to table uh, 
Uh, wool is kind of a, a separate thing. Uh, a hobby that it's also part of what we offer, but it's mostly a hobby. Uh, but they have a lot in common, I think. I was, uh, you know, your question made me think uh, about it. I never thought really <laughs> about it deeply, but I did for you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and yes, no, and thank you to you because I, I realized that um, they are both kind of a challenge for a person like me because I'm not patient. <laughs> <laughs> I am that kind of person, you know, when I have an idea or when I, when I want something, I want it right here, right now. And it's kind of strange because I choose a life where this is not possible, almost never. Yeah. <laughs> and bread and wool are both something like this. So you start from the raw material in both cases. In the case of wool, you start from the animal. So from the living animal, because we have sheep. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to work slowly. It's not because you're slow. It's just because the process needs to be, yeah. needs to be slow. And then you end up with something that you can eat or wear. And this is a magic that comes from a slow process. And also in both cases. And also, I think they are both um, things that put me in connection with something very um, kind of biological from a, uh, you know, of the human being. Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting from a very raw material and, and creating something that you use for surviving, you yeah. know. Uh, Eat and wear clothes, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, it's something really uh, that makes me feel like, you know, mm -hmm. very, very human in a very, very deep sense. So I think, yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you learn a lot. I mean, I learned to be patient thanks to the bread to bread and sourdough bread. Like it was, let's not forget it's sourdough bread. So uh, it needs care and attention. Uh, I, I still had to try with wool. I mean, I tried to knit last year and it lasted for about one week, but I have my little bag with everything there for the next winter. <laughs> and I hope I will learn to do something with that as well. I don't know, patience, patience. And you learn a lot from these two things. Uh, one of these passions became a cookbook. So can you tell us a little bit about your first cookbook, Pasta Madre? Yes, that was uh, really uh, an interesting uh, trip <laughs> because, yes, I never thought about uh, that I could write a book or, yeah, wasn't in my, um, uh, in my programs. But, you know, life is, has always uh, something surprising mm -hmm. for us <laughs> around the corner. So, yes, uh, I wrote this book uh, and I have to say that it was a great adventure and it came out exactly how I wanted it because the first question I asked myself when I was asked to write a book about sourdough bread was I have to be completely sincere about that was well but does the world need another book about <laughs> sourdough bread I mean you know especially during the pandemic everybody was talking everybody was making bread yeah was baking bread and there are so so many amazing uh, recipe books and blogs and material everywhere that I really asked myself immediately, wow, I, I'm not sure the world needs that <laughs> from me. 
But then I immediately I thought, well, but what I really want to do is to uh, yes to 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 tell uh, some of my recites, uh, but mainly uh, what I want to tell uh, is my story with sourdough. So it's not just a technique that I learned; it's also that, uh, and I, I I enjoyed myself explaining this technique as as plain as possible. But it was also sourdough bread was also the first step. Uh, that I took in my new life because I wasn't born here. I was born in, I was a town girl, 100% urban. <laughs> and I moved here for love because I felt in love with my husband. And it was something completely, you know, different and new to me. And this changed my life. And the first step I took in this new life was understanding that I could break bread myself. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, kind of lightening <laughs> for me. And from that moment on, I never stopped trying to do things myself with my hands. So this was what I, this is what I want to, um, like to tell and to, and to pass to people, you know, mm -hmm. never, never give up trying to do things with your hands because this is, this gives us the best um satisfaction in yeah life, I and i mean i have uh several cookbooks uh, about sourdough bread but what makes unique your book is that it gives you the instruments to incorporate sourdough bread in your life so you don't feel it like something you know a challenge something difficult yes but you explain perfectly how you can incorporate the sourdough bread making and you know, feeding the starter in your daily life. So if you work in an office, if you work from home, if you live in the mountains, if you live by the sea, you have the instruments to make this your uh, you know, activity, a part of your life. And the recipes work because they are very forgiving. So, you know, and this, I think this is the magical of your cookbook, but also, uh the magic of what you you know tell the stories you tell on instagram uh and you know in your restaurant because it's like you know living a story sitting there you really make people understand that it's possible no? that it's possible to change that it's possible to make things with your hands uh so i think that everyone listening to should really you know start following you if they are not already following you because you can really learn a lot not not only about bread but also where the bread comes and where the wool comes and you know how you can bring beetroot on the table and what to make with the beetroot without having uh these cars or leftovers so it's um it's a sustainable way of living and you are teaching everyone how to make it possible without preaching just showing the example and i think this is you know the magic behind all your work yeah oh thank you that was uh that was exactly what i wanted to yeah <laughs> to do after so many years of bread sourdough baking courses uh and that I, i'm i'm grateful that i i wrote this book after like almost uh seven years mm -hmm. of uh sourdough courses because yeah. i really had in mind all the questions that yeah. uh, my students uh were asking and they yeah. were always always very similar and one of those was a kind of you know uh i am scared about this because i want to do it 
but I feel like my life is too busy yeah. and I will never go on with that. And that was uh, something I always kept in mind while I was writing the book. I want, what, what's my aim? My aim is that people try and go on and yeah. develop a passion for it and can incorporate this passion in their daily life. So, yeah. What, yeah, one of the most important things that I learned from you, uh, because I attended one of your uh, sourdough baking classes uh, when we visited, is how you can feed the starter without having, you know, a lot of discarded starter. So, you know, just the tiny amount, small quantities, the quantity you need to feed it and then to bake the bread. And that was, you know, mind blowing. It really opened my mind and my eyes to a, a sustainable way of feeding your starter. Because one of the big challenges I had with sourdough was that I had, you know, cups and cups of discarded starter every time I feed it. And it felt like, you know, a pity to throw that away. And I'm, um, I don't have a bakery, so I don't need uh, tons of starter every day. So your approach with, you know, refreshing, feeding just a tiny amount of your starter, keeping it in the fridge, adding what is left. It really opened my mind and it made the sourdough bread uh, experience more sustainable, practical, and also uh, easier, definitely easier. Something I could do, you know, just before going to dinner or before going to bread, refresh the starter, feed it, yeah. just leave it there until the day after. And that was, you know, really, you know, one of the practical examples of how you can really incorporate the sourdough bread baking experience in your daily life. Yeah, that was incredible. And now let's move to, to the cuisine now. So bread is just part of the whole experience you, we, we can have in your farm to table restaurant. But um, which are the most important ingredients of the Alpine cuisine? And which are the most important recipes, the most representative recipes of that cuisine? So uh, mountain cuisine, I think it's very interesting because um, we, as you can imagine, uh, we have a short season of production. Now I'm talking about vegetables mainly. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting to see how in, in thousands of years, uh, people uh, living this uh, highlands <laughs> have developed a, a very uh, fine cuisine starting from very poor ingredients. Uh, well, I think this is kind of a story of the whole uh, Italian, <laughs> Italy. but in the mountain, you can really, really see this in, in a very clear way because, you know, our lands are difficult to cultivate and are difficult to, to live in. So uh, we, we have de developed uh, a very rich cuisine, but starting from very um, simple ingredients. So, well, what you find here uh, in the vegetable um, area is mostly kales, um, beets, onions, berries. Um, a very big part is played by wild herbs because, you know, the, the growing season in the vegetable garden is uh, short. Mm -hmm. So people had to learn how to use what nature was giving, you know, like uh, in the wild. So there is a large use of wild herbs and not only herbs, like part of the trees and wild berries and game as well. So, um, yeah. And then a special, a special role is obviously for cheese. 
Mm-hmm. So cheese is something I really love here. Um, there is a, a very, very interesting uh, tradition and it's still very, very traditional. We have no chance to, uh, to build, you know, big uh, cow sheds or big dairy productions because our land does not allow it. Uh, I would add, fortunately. <laughs> and so we have small, very, very small production of very high quality cheese so and then another interesting interesting thing is that um traditional uh, recipes here are mostly uh with uh, rye and buckwheat flour mm-hmm. and and corn because these are uh grains that can be grown uh even in the in the high um in the mountains even in very very high mountains i have learned about uh rye grown at uh, 2000 meters wow. mm-hmm. sea level yeah so and wheat wasn't that much here uh because it was something for the rich people yeah. so yes most of our recipes are with those kind of flowers which makes them kind of different and interesting yeah and even from a touristic perspective if you think about you know going to the mountains that's the taste of your holidays there. So the rye bread, the buckwheat uh, in the yeah. bread, in the cakes. Uh, so it's very um, unique for, for the whole Italy landscape uh, yeah. to see bread made with rye or with you know, buckwheat. But the cake, uh, you know, like short crust made with buckwheat with uh, a jam made of berries. So it really speaks of, you know, mountain cuisine and it's, yes. it feels authentic and it's the real taste of that cuisine. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm salivating just now thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite recipe from, you know, this new life in the mountains? Yes, there is one that I really, that I really love, which is, uh, it's called moas. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, of the words used here are uh, German or are Italian, but you can uh, you can feel that they come from the German language mm-hmm. because we are so close. So moes uh, is uh, um, something really very very traditional. It was the dinner of the mountain farmers, and it's um, how to describe it. It's uh, a rani polenta mm-hmm. made with buckwheat uh, flour. Yes, the best, best thing is to have buckwheat in grains and then toast it a little bit on a pan very, very shortly because it develops a, a nutty mm-hmm, flavor. A nutty flavor. Yes, and then grind it and use it. Um, you put a pan on the fire, uh, traditionally on the, on the stove, mm-hmm. the kitchen stove, and you put some water and, and, uh, and milk, bring it to a boil, and then add this uh, buckwheat flour, stir it for quite a long time until it makes a kind of burned, mm-hmm. kind of slightly burned crust underneath. But uh, on the on the upper part, it's still runny. Uh, and then you put the pan in the middle of the table, so you don't serve it in the plates. You put the pan directly on the table, and you pour some. You can choose whatever you want. Very traditional is um, elderberry uh, jam. Mm. Yes. Uh, 
which is well you you can if you don't have it you can add like i sometimes add um elder flower syrup mm. or jams whatever jam you have in the middle a little bit of butter you stir and then you start to eat it with a spoon all the people start to eat it wow. together <laughs> this was really something very very typical it was the evening dinner for for farmers as you can see it's a very simple and quite poor dish yeah. you know yeah. the ingredients are really really basic and poor but it's the most delicious thing mm. ever okay next time i visit i want to try this because you mentioned elderberries and elderflower and this is probably one of my favorite ingredients and then you know I really immediately link uh, Bachwit to mountains and just the idea of this communal table, you know, eating the food. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's, and I it's a feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you something, a, a, a very, very nice thing that I uh, saw once in a, in a mountain farm up in the mountains. It was a very traditional, very old one. And behind, they had this table uh, that was next to a, a wall. Mm -hmm. And on the wall, there were uh, like tiny uh, pieces of uh, wood that were holding the spoons of the family. <laughs> so the spoons were on the, hanging on the wall, <laughs> you know, kept on the wall with this uh, piece of, of wood. Yeah. And that was the spoon for Moas. Wow, so fantastic. for the family, that was really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what is exciting, and this is Italy, no? So Italy is not just, the Colosseum and the Vespa tours and the pizza. This is Italy as well at the most authentic level. And it's so interesting to get to know these traditions that are still alive in the mountains. And they really have, you know, a reason for being, you know, for, you know, Cucina Povera of the mountains and how you can really uh, sustain a whole family with very poor ingredients and how can, you can make everyone happy, you know, filling the bellies and making them happy. Oh, that's incredible. And do you have a similar favorite recipe from Tuscan cuisine? Now I'm curious. Uh, I have to say that what I miss from Tuscany, um, because, well, it's, it's, it's strange because I come from Tuscany, but I learned to cook here. Mm -hmm. So I have to be very humble here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that good Tuscany uh, <laughs> cook, <laughs> but um, something I really miss, and of course I bake myself, is the sketchup. Uh, yes. <laughs> and unsalted bread is something that brings me back home every time I taste it. So, uh, and I, well, here they have something they call focaccia, but it's not the same thing. Schiacciata is, you know, so oily and yeah, you know, salty, butter, oily and salty, and you know that special crunchy edges. It's something unique, yeah. and so yes, that one I bake myself very often. <laughs> you know, go home with at least with tastes. Yeah, 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 and a good schiacciata is just warm from the oven. It's it's incredible. So you are in Trentino. Uh, let's talk about, you know, after the food, about the region and everything mm -hmm. uh, about the region. What do you like about this part of Italy? Well, the, the answer is very easy. The mountains, mm. 
The mountains <laughs> are something that I think uh, starts running through your veins and you cannot do without. Well, for me at least. Uh, so every, uh, when I move here, I mean, here mountains are everywhere. Even if you are in, in the town center, the main town is called Trento. And even if you are in the main square of the dome, you can see the mountains. Mm -hmm. So this is something really amazing. And something also that I really appreciated when I moved here and still I, I think about that is that wherever you live here in 15 minutes, you are in the woods, in the wild woods. So again, if you are in the dome square, 15 minutes drive, 20 minutes drive, and you are in a forest. So this is something incredible and really worth, um, worth living in a life, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, this is something. Yeah. And now that Italy is finally opening up again to international tourism, um, let's talk about Trentino from a touristic uh, perspective. What should we see? And most, most importantly, what should we eat there? I mean, we know where <laughs> we had to come and visit you. But yeah. <laughs> in general, what should we see and what should we eat? So, um, well, the first, the first answer that would come immediately to my mind, and I think you know, everybody's mind, is if you are here, uh, take a look. I mean, you have to, to go and see the Dolomites. This is the, easy, the easiest answer I can give. I mean, Dolomites, everybody knows them, and they are really stunning, and there is no other place in the world where you can see those. So, absolutely. Uh, but... I would say, I would add, you know, from really from my heart, uh, don't just go and see the Dolomites because uh, this land is really uh, amazing everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And there are also different kinds of mountains. It's not only Dolomites. There are yeah. also different kinds of mountains that are so, so interesting and so beautiful and as stunning as the Dolomites. So definitely, uh, I would uh, visit Trento, which mm -hmm. is a very interesting, very, very interesting town because it's not the typical uh, Italian town you would imagine. A lot of my foreign friends and guests, they are really impressed because they see this mixture of Italian tradition, uh, traditional um, architecture, but also mixed up with uh, Austrian yeah. uh, traditional architecture. And this is something really unique. You will not find that anywhere else in Italy. So definitely it's worth seeing. And then if you love the mountains, explore. Explore because there are really wild and preserved areas that are really worth seeing. Yeah. Going to the food, back to the back to food. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I could list, um, you know, a, a, a lot of local dishes that you can find everywhere. Uh, just be sure you find the right place to have them, I have to say. But there is one thing I would suggest as a special experience. Go in the mountains, find a mountain dairy farm and eat their cheese with mm. a slice of bread. 
that's the best experience. And if they have it also a little bit of butter. Yes. On the bread. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the most amazing experience because these are grass, um, grass fed cows. They stay up in the mountains and they make a completely different cheese, which is really worth tasting. Yeah. Yeah, mamma mia, uh, <laughs> mamma mia, really. It's it's um like just speaking of butter is so different from uh, what we can get, let's say, in Italy, because mm -hmm. butter is not the main product for the rest of Italy. It's just you know almost a byproduct. Uh, the, the main focus is cheese, so you really taste the difference when you try fresh butter from the mountains. Uh, it's an experience. So the first time I tried that, it's like this is not the butter I had for the, for all my life. This is real butter. This is worth you know spreading on on bread. And it's you know um, I'm a bread and olive oil person. I'm from Tuscany, but <laughs> that butter you know that can really stand the, the comparison with my passion and love for olive oil because it's so fresh. You can really taste the grass. Uh, the season yes. there so it's fantastic yes. yeah um, but uh, now you know from another perspective with after the pandemic uh, when there was just the Italian tourism allowed in Italy most people decided to have their holidays uh, in the mountains and it brought uh, you know many problems to areas with a very delicate uh, you know balance in between you know tourism and real life and everything so which would be the most respectful and sustainable way to experience trentino to avoid to transform that in you know disneyland or to break this really delicate balance mm -hmm. well uh, i would say this is a very interesting uh, interesting matter Um, that we have to, to face as soon as possible because yes, we, we, okay, our life up here is sustainable, economically sustainable also because of tourism. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we are uh, a land that has a very, very old tradition of uh, welcoming people from all over the world. So this is very important to us. Uh, at the same time, you know, Nowadays, uh, numbers are uh, really becoming kind of important numbers. Mm -hmm. And we have to face that we have to preserve uh, this, as you said, this very delicate uh, environment, which is really, really very delicate as all extreme environments um, where human settlements are not that easy as in the flatlands. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I think uh, the best approach when you come and visit here is try not to expect to find uh, what you would find um, on the seaside. <laughs> so because we have a responsibility as, as visitors uh to you know we ask for things and and if we ask for things sooner or later they will be given so if we ask to have all the facilities uh even at 2000 uh, uh meters above the sea level uh, that we can find you know in a town sooner or later someone will will think about giving them to us and this it can cause really 
some changes that are, then will be it will be difficult to go back. Mm -hmm. So I think as visitors, everywhere we go, it's just the best thing to do is go and see what there is. Uh, so if um, the mountains are places where it's we, you have to be slow, you have to go slow. You cannot think that you can reach whatever place uh, you want. There are limits, so it's it's also beautiful to accept limits. You know, accept your limits and the limits of the nature around you, and just you know enjoy that richness and yeah. that you can enjoy everywhere here. There is. There is not much more uh, we can add to what nature gives us here. It's really stunning and being in there with walking, walking especially, walking there is just, uh, it's just enough, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to, to experience uh, that nature, yes, walking is probably the best uh, experience you can have. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, so there are uh, areas in the Trentino mountains that are very, very touristic and everyone wants to go there. Spaldifassa or the Brias Lake. Um, where would you go for a day trip or let's say a long weekend uh, that is not so touristic? So we are curious about hidden gems or unique experiences, something you would do. Okay, now <laughs> that's difficult. Uh, yes, I would talk about uh, well, the valley where we are. It's exactly what we're talking about uh, because uh, it's a, it's very hidden. Uh, it's not touristic at all. So um, and it's really uh, still very much preserved. So there are no very big touristic infrastructures, mm -hmm. but. Uh, people are really real mountain people and the landscape is real mountain landscape uh, not you know it's not a set for tourists to take pictures but it's exactly how we live it so uh, definitely the valley where i am that is called valle dei mocchini mm -hmm. uh, but um, another valley I would like to mention because really I, I discovered it not recently and I really love it is Val di Rabbi, which is so beautiful. It's also a very small valley and it's really a hidden gem. Uh, I would definitely would suggest it's on the other side of the mountain, mm -hmm. you know. And another area uh, I would like to mention is. Um, the mountain chain of Lagorai, which is uh, it's really different and it's really unique in the whole uh, area of Trentino Alto Adige because it's uh, very wild, very beautiful, and there you can find very, very, very traditional cheese farms, you know, high mountains cheese farms uh, in the summer. And that's the best cheese experience I've ever had. So definitely I would, uh, if you want the real experience of the mountains as they were, Lagorai mm -hmm. is what you're looking for. Yeah, I can wait to go. <laughs> really, I'm ready to go and experience that. <laughs> uh, so we're almost closing the conversation. One of the last questions, 
um, which edible souvenir would you suggest us to bring back home from Trentino? Allora, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not a, uh, an easy question because there are so many things that comes to my mind. But sorry, the dog. The dog. <laughs> Real life. <laughs> Real life at the farm. So, uh, as I said, I'm not saying it too much. Cheese, that definitely uh, would be uh, from a real dairy farm. Mm -hmm. So, there are so many, and there are so many young uh, dairy farmers around. So, definitely cheese. Uh, and well, we have um, krauts and syrups. Krauts are this, this uh, kale that it's fermented. Because a lot of uh, the things that you will find here, typical food is uh, preserved things. Because as I said before, the season was very short. So they have to be very creative about how to preserve things also for the winter. So crowds definitely and syrups. Very mm -hmm. typical is uh, elderflower syrup. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and another thing very interesting is dried wild herbs. Uh, dried wild herbs that are both cultivated or wild. And yes, that's it. That also something you could bring home. Yeah, that's the elderflower syrup. The yes, <laughs> one of my favorite things in the world. Um, my last question, could you suggest us a cookbook about mountain or alpine cuisine? Okay, yes, uh, I have so many and <laughs> it, it's really difficult to, uh, to decide which one, but uh, my favorite book for alpine cuisine, which is, and it's really the real traditional cuisine and I've tried almost all the recipes so I can guarantee that they all work and they're quite simple as well. It's called La Cucina Nelle Dolomiti. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, the kitchen in the Dolomites from uh, Annelise Compacce. And maybe I will write it down for yeah. you and then- And we can then, share. Yeah, yeah? That's, yes, that's, that's really a very, cook, cook, uh, very good cookbook. And another one is a very famous one that's, uh, it's, it's uh, not very new, but they still sell a lot of them because it's the most accurate and it's really big. There is also a bit of Italian um, recipes, but mostly our mountain recipes. It's called Cucinare nelle Dolomiti. Mm -hmm. That is also a very, very good book. Okay. So, yeah. So we have a lot to study for our homeworks, <laughs> things to try and to experience. Bea, thank you, thank you so much for this conversation. I just want to remember everyone that I'll share your contacts, so for Instagram, blog, the restaurant, the cookbooks you mentioned in this episode show notes, so they can find you and book a table in your restaurant when they visit Trentino. And then what else? Thank you again, and I hope to see you in real life, in person, very, very soon. Thank you so much to you as well, Julia, and we cannot wait to see you, the whole family, and to meet Lydia. Yes. <laughs> and to show her around at the, at the Mazo. And thank you for having me. It was amazing. As you thank know. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ciao.